You are meant to rule your little kingdom, however small or big that is, as if you were Jesus himself. How would Jesus rule in your home? How would Jesus rule in your school? How would Jesus rule at your work, uh, in your backyard, mm-hmm. with your neighbors, in your church, at mm-hmm. an HOA meeting? Yeah. What would it look like if King Jesus showed up here as the gentle and lowly lamb? Mm-hmm. Right. It would look like you mm-hmm. being a little Jesus in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks like to rule with God. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of Scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, a hearty welcome to everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. We are in Daniel 7. We have reached the center of the chiasm, the center of the book, the famous Daniel 7 with the four beasts and the Son of Man and the Ancient of Days, Seth. Give me your hot take. How are you feeling? Uh, my hot take is... <laughs> overwhelmed is, beyond belief. It's forthcoming. <laughs> I, I, we said it before we came on air, I think this might... This feels like yeah. the most difficult passage we've ever talked about. Not yeah. because like because it's so dense, so much is on the line, so many big themes are, are mm-hmm. on the table. The genre is apocalyptic literature. I don't think we've ever done apocalyptic literature. Yeah, uh, you might be like right. we've like this feels like we are at the limits of our abil- uh, of our human ability, ability. Uh, of our human ability <laughs> even daniel will express the same thing daniel in this passage. feels the same way we do yes. so we are a good company <laughs> um and so i feel that i feel yeah the humility of being that far on the yeah. edges of what i can understand yeah but luckily daniel had an angelic guide to help him with some of the interpretation yeah we have the holy spirit and the full counsel of the word of god and, and a community of brethren and we're going to we're going to work our way through this really wonderful passage. Yes. And if we change our mind tomorrow, praise be to God. Praise <laughs> be to God. <laughs> uh well, okay, well, let's start before we get into everything. Let's mm-hmm. set the stage here okay. with uh genre. Yes. Because the genre for between 6 and 7 has changed from narrative to right. apocalyptic. So, in the first 6 chapters of the book of Daniel, we have narratives stories about Daniel or Nebuchadnezzar or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego about their time in exile and how the kings have all been humbled Mm -hmm. to the God of heaven and when Daniel or his friends are risen up into power. So Mm -hmm. we've had this themes set up already for us. The true God of heaven, the universal sovereign of God, and then the sons of God, the sons of men rising up and sitting on thrones in Babylon. We Mm -hmm. have these themes swirling around. Chapter 7 switches, and we no longer have narratives, but we have records of visions mm-hmm. and dreams for the rest of the five chapters, not six chapters okay. left in Daniel. Yeah. And as you said, they are apocalyptic in genre. Right. So when we say something is apocalyptic, what do we mean by that? Because... I'm like, have we already, in a sense, dipped our toe in the waters of apocalyptic literature when we've seen these visions of 
the king statue and the tree that gets chopped down that becomes a man that becomes a beast that becomes a man again that also feels really weird yeah. and uh what what's separating this from that is are they similar you know they might be more similar than they are different mm. the word apocalypse just means revelation oh right the book of revelations the is the apocalypse of john the apocalypse of john mm. it just means god is revealing yeah and that's helpful that's demystifying a bit yeah and yeah. we've had revelations about individual kings mm. and revelations about the future of kingdoms and in the next few chapters we're going to get intensified revelations about everything we've already read and things that will happen after daniel is mm. dead and gone as well yeah so maybe is it a helpful distinction yeah. at least when we're talking about genre to talk about apocalyptic literature differentiating from prophetic literature because prophetic literature in the old testament often talks about things that are happening right now mm -hmm. how god is viewing the events of the world right now how god is seeing things right now and maybe what's soon going to come to pass the consequence for breaking the covenant yeah or and doing like X, y, and usually or they're warning based they're mm -hmm. not determined they're yeah it, unless you repent these things are going to happen mm -hmm. this is more like let me show you the future daniel yeah is that what's happening here? there's a little bit of that okay. yeah there is like we you don't get the sense reading this uh -huh. that you can change the course of what god has ordained yeah you really don't a lot of like critics of the book of daniel will say like daniel teaches a type of hard determinism that you mm. just can't escape from the will of god and presumably that's encouraging to people in exile god will win right but and we know it it's written in it's future history books right but where's the freedom in that like mm. there's like there is a sense that like th that apocalyptic literature has written in the blood of the lamb mm. the future of the world yeah um, so yeah, I think that's on the line. I think apocalyptic literature also has some like genre expectations. Yes. So like prophetic literature is like, it's a covenant interpretation and some future events of the consequences for breaking the covenant, which are riffing off of what God already promised in right. Deuteronomy. If, you, and if you don't read prophetic literature with the Torah in your mind, it, you're going to be hamstrung and you're going right. to get to some weird places. Yes. So and what, what are some of the like presuppositions of uh, apocalyptic literature um apocalyptic literature generally mm -hmm. makes use of grand cosmic images yeah. to make points about sometimes trivial human events right um and what i've heard one scholar just talk about blowing up the problems of our current age onto just a cosmic and spiritual dimension. Mm. Um, Isaiah will do this when he like describes the Assyrian or the Babylonian army to come to Jerusalem by all the and he says the stars will all fall out of the sky. Right, that is apocalyptic literature right there. That's apocalyptic literature. That's He's right. Using the cosmos to communicate a geopolitical reality for Israel. Right. So we kind of still do this today. Right, like you think about when we when mankind wants to express the hubris of technology yeah. and the height of the the foibles we'll get into if we continue down our technologically dark path. You get Godzilla, yes, <laughs> and Godzilla is this literal monster that rises out of the chaotic waters and wreaks havoc on the empires of the world. There's a whole <laughs> Japanese like manga style devoted to this, and it's awesome. Yeah. King Kong, Godzilla, you get. Uh, yeah. Mothman, yeah. Mothra. <laughs> you, we have all these stories right. that do and, this, for and they're us. communicating a simple truth. Yep, like 
our hubris of science gets us to these devastating ends. Yeah, even stuff like superhero origin yes. stories. They're, what are they? They're telling the stories of coming of age. Mm-hmm. How do you step into who you are mm. as a small boy in a big world? Right. That's what Spider-Man's about. Yeah. So let's put some superpowers on it yeah. and we call it a coming... It's a coming of age story. That's right. But you put superpowers on it to heighten everything and to dignify the suffering or mm-hmm. the experience of the forgotten person. Right. And there are tropes, mm-hmm. you know, expected motifs in King Kong and Godzilla movies and in superhero movies and in Star Wars movies, sci-fi movies. Mm-hmm. Like, and if they're not there, you're like, why, are they, why aren't they there? You missed this. This didn't feel like the right genre. Yeah. And so those things are going to pop up in our text and you need to know they're there so that way you're not, you don't make too much of them because right. it's a trope. Right. And you don't make too little of them because you know how they sit in the story and what, yeah. what what device they're doing. Apocalyptic literature is meant to be big, vibrant, mm. cosmic, giant. Yeah. It's supposed, to, it's supposed to feel overwhelming, and which is how Daniel experiences it in his dreams yeah. and his visions. Can I ask a really meta question? Yeah. Uh, I've just never thought of this question before. Is, is, is this is a cart or the horse kind of thing. Okay. Maybe it's chicken or the egg and it's unanswerable. But... Is apocalyptic literature the way that it is because it's a literary style or because it's the types of visions that God gives? Oh. Like, uh, apocalyptic literature is reporting some of the ways that God tends Mm -hmm. to reveal things to his prophets. Well, there is apocalyptic literature outside of scripture. Right. So, this was a genre popular, Mm -hmm. just the same way Marvel movies are popular now. Like, this genre is widely popular within the ancient world. Right. And God is using the tropes of the genre mm-hmm. to communicate truths to an exiled people in Babylon. So in a way then, this is kind of like God's like, you know what? I want to tell you what's going to happen in the future. So we're going to do it like a Star Wars movie. Yeah. And there's going to be light and dark and in a galaxy far, far away. We're going to place it there and I'm going to show you what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But we're going to use Han Solo to be this person and you know, Leia's yeah. going to represent this kingdom. And to the extent that scripture aligns with or subverts the expectations of apocalyptic genre right also tells you different things about what's supposed to happen yeah if god was doing a star wars movie and then all of a sudden the dark side just wins everything you'd be like yes that's that's not how these go that's not how these go that's not how this goes or if like you have a sci-fi movie recently about, uh, in the galaxy next door right yeah yeah, right. yeah. Wait, like, hold on wait, that wasn't right <laughs> yeah or if you have a sci-fi movie you know and they usually there's there's a sci-fi trope of like when technology gets so out of control that it's unmanageable yeah and you have these like huge drone shots that just pull out and that person is just stuck in whatever horrible reality of uh-huh. the new ai driven world that they're yes. in and there's no escape and the movie ends roll credits yeah but what if at the end of the movie, it's like, never mind. I've figured out how to reprogram the AI. It's like, wait, you broke the genre. It's wait. not supposed to end that way. Right. So we need to know the tropes of the genre in order yes. to know what's happening. That's and all think, we're saying. Yeah, that's all we're saying. Okay. And so all we're entering into a new genre yep. with new metaphors, new ideas, like new ways to communicate truth. Yep. Know that. I just think it's helpful. Yes. Okay. And our, this was mostly an opportunity for us to geek out about Marvel and Star <laughs> Wars. <laughs> all right. Cool. So... So we're going back in time. Yeah, so Daniel has this first vision um, while he's still in the court of Belshazzar. Mm-hmm. In, in the first year of Belshazzar's reign. In Babylon. Uh-huh. And so Darius, who put him in the lion's den, this hasn't, hasn't, ha- hasn't, hasn't happened hasn't yet. Happened yet. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The reason for the anachronism, the, the wrong timeline ordering, 
is because there's something literarily and linguistically happening in the book as a whole. Because it's it's a mixed language book. We've talked about this, right? Yeah. The book of Daniel is written in both Aramaic and Hebrew. Mm-hmm. And Daniel chapter 7 is the last book in Aramaic. Yep. And the rest of the book will be Hebrew. But it's the last. Every other Aramaic chapter is a story. But this one's visions. So it's setting you up for the combined confused languages telling a unified point which was kind of the problem at the Tower of Babel where languages were confused in the first place. Yeah. And if you missed our conversation about how Babylon is a new type of Babel, you should go back and listen to a previous podcast. Yes, and I think that's also really interesting too, the language switching from Aramaic to Hebrew almost also is a visible representation, a linguistic representation of the kingdom of God mm-hmm. overtaking the kingdom of Babylon. Yeah. Because you have you know, you have the Babylonian mm-hmm. Empire and the the Media Persian Empire and then the visions are going to be about how God's kingdom is going to come and overtake them all. Yeah. And as he does, the language of his people yeah. ends up overtaking the language of the empire. Yeah. It's interesting. It is true. And then I guess last thing before mm-hmm. we jump in, Daniel chapter, we've talked multiple times about how the book of Daniel is a chiasm. Right. Every chapter has a partner chapter. Daniel 7 is the partner chapter to Daniel 2, mm-hmm. which where Nebuchadnezzar has a vision of a four-parted statue that represents four kingdoms. Yes. And now we're about to see another vision of four beasts that represent four kingdoms. Okay. So we're, we're the same thing, a similar thing is happening. So Daniel's helping us here. He's helping us. It's not throwing us for a total loop. We should expect these themes. Yes. And okay, this cast of characters. Okay, so in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and vision in his head while laying in bed. Yes. And he, then he goes and writes it down. And right. that's, I guess, in a sense, what we have here in front of us. That's right. This okay. is his dream journal. <laughs> we have Daniel's <laughs> dream journal. Good. I hope no one ever uh, publishes mine. It would look. It would sound a lot like this, I'm sure. I Yeah, I bet it would. He, The four ruachs, the four winds of heaven, stirred up the great sea. Oh, well, so we already have something really interesting happening here. This is the cosmic great sea sea before the world began where the, the, the breath the wind of god hovered over the waters right in genesis 1 you have mm-hmm. there was this nothingness this void well that void isn't just a black hole yeah it was this chaotic water yeah and the spirit of god the ruach is why you brought that up which also yeah. could mean wind or spirit or breath yeah was hovering over it well yep. now it's happening again mm-hmm. and i almost have this vision of hercules yeah where hades rides over and I have not seen this Disney movie. Oh, you haven't? One of the few I haven't the seen. The planets align, and it's his part of his master plan, and it opens up this hole in the earth, and underneath it are four chaos monsters. Oh. And he unleashes them to go and attack Zeus. Well, hold your breath. I know. Because, <laughs> and four great beasts <laughs> came up out of the sea, different from one another. So what's interesting is you expect creation. Right. One. When, when the spirit hovers over the water, we get creation. Instead, we get chaos yeah, that we get comes up out of the water. Decreation. And th- this, the winds of heaven, mm. to whatever extent that is a picture of the breath of God, God is the author of this chaos. Just like he way. was in chapter one. Yep. That it was God who handed over Jerusalem to Nebuchadnezzar. God's always proving again right. and again and again that he's the author of history. He's the one in control. He sets mm-hmm. up kingdoms and tears them down. Yep. And so he's even control in control of these four chaotic monsters representing four kingdoms that are coming up out of the sea. Right. So the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. 
Uh, I'm going to skip to chapter 5. And behold, another beast, a second, was one like a bear with ribs in its mouth. And then another beast, chapter uh, verse 6, it was like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And then we're going to go to a fourth beast, a terrifying beast. A different beast. A different beast with great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And it was different from all the other beasts before it. And it had ten horns. And then another horn comes up from the middle of the horns, a little horn, Mm -hmm. before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. (laughs) And behold, in this horn were eyes, like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Okay. So I think what we should ask before we move on, because the vision continues... Mm -hmm into two more movements before we get an interpretation. Yes. Uh, so what do we know so far? Mm. We know this is a parallel to chapter two, where four other kingdoms were mentioned. Yes. And we were told the first kingdom there was Babylon, mm-hmm. and that Nebuchadnezzar was the head. Right. Now listen to the description of the beast here, the first beast here. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Remember how Nebuchadnezzar's hair grows out like eagle's feathers whenever he's turned into a beast Beast, right (laughs) yeah and uh then it says and he was lifted and then its wings were plucked off Mm -hmm. and it was lifted up from the ground and then made to stand on two feet like a man and a mind of a man was given to it this actually stands a lot like the story of king nebuchadnezzar in chapter four where he's made a beast uh as a punishment but then after after his eagle feathers grow, yep. he's restored to his sanity and the mind of a man is given to him again. Yes, his sanity is returned and he yeah. stands on his two feet. So without even needing interpretation, like, it's oh, very clear that this is probably this Nebuchadnezzar. Is Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom of Babylon. Yes. Okay. Which is also interesting too, just a flag, although we've kind mm-hmm. of said it, is just as in chapter four, you had Nebuchadnezzar, a king of, mm-hmm. an, of an empire, becoming a beast, mm-hmm. right? Here... You have beasts that are representing kingdoms and empires. Yes. So uh, Daniel's, yes, 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 Daniel's yes. done the work for us narratively up to this point for us to understand what's happening, which I think is also really kind of God yeah. in the way he gives dreams and visions to use the raw material of our life mm. to talk to us. Right. You, you saw King Nebuchadnezzar go turn into an animal. Yeah, and he had eagle's feathers and he was right. a beast. So I'm going to have beasts come out and yeah. talk to you like, yeah. like through visions that you understand. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So just to proof text that these are kingdoms, in verse 17, an angel starts interpreting this dream for Daniel, and he says, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. Right. So the angel tells us this is the case. Mm. Yes. I was just going back to the, you said arise out of the earth, and yeah. I, it just freaked me out because what when the last time we had chaotic waters and the spirit hovering over those waters, and some and a, and a man rising up out of the earth that was created out of those waters, what did you get? Adam. You got the first king. Mm. Adam was made a king, given dominion yeah. over the earth in Genesis. Mm. He was the first created king, risen up out of the chaotic mm. waters. But now that beautiful story of creation is being cannibalized and mutated into this disgusting, grotesque well, it's like, show of beastery. It's almost as if, like... Eden never existed. And what if out of the waters, life oh, was only the fall? Right. And it's interesting. How do they leave the fall? Covered in animal skins. Like, this is a new creation myth. Oh. Oh, my gosh. Like, this is this is the creation story without Eden. Right. This what is, w- hey, Daniel, let's have a dream. In this dream, let's imagine that the world was made 
without a good like without without the good beginning it's crazy what if it just started in the fall that's crazy it'd be filled, like i would again fill and what did god do right. in creation he filled the world with beasts mm-hmm. right yeah animals yes turkeys turkeys <laughs> <laughs> but like he also in this one the beasts are out of control mutated amalgamations mm. that are just interesting running wild well okay okay anyway that would be an interesting exploration for anybody who wants to do so yeah we'll just leave that there um but the next one is a second beast is like a bear with three ribs in its mouth and he's told to devour much flesh we mm. already know from what we read is that the kingdom of babylon was devoured by the median empire mm-hmm. um and that's kind of all we know we can't yeah that's that's all we know right i mean if you just read chapter five and six and you got here and you're like okay i know the first beast is nebuchadnezzar mm-hmm. who comes after him Darius. Right. It's just kind of plain. Yes. Okay. So the question is then, who is the third beast? Mm. Now, we don't have any information so far about who this third beast could be. We have one option already present to us. It could be Persia. Right, because it was the, the shekel was divided into but, the Medes and the Persians. So maybe this the is, first one was Darius and the Medes, and the next one is Persia. However, throughout the entire book of Daniel, the Medes and the Persians are always described as one. Right. The empire of the Medes and the Persians. The law of the Medes and the Persians are mm. irrevocable. So it makes sense that it's one. It, it also makes sense that it's two. But who is the third empire? In this passage, we don't know. Right. And maybe it would be pointless to speculate in this passage. I think it would be. And what we can do here as we go scratching our heads around about the third and the fourth beasts, mm-hmm. we just go, oh, I can just be with Daniel in verse 15 Yes. Where something really interesting happens because Daniel says that the visions alarm him. He gets anxious in his brain. And so he he comes to a, uh, is it an angel? An angel, yes. And asks him to make the interpretation known to him of the vision. Mm -hmm. That's right. So the interpreter of dreams, Daniel, the one who always knows what's happening (laughs) in visions, ends up being kind of like Nebuchadnezzar, asking somebody else to give the interpretation. Mm. Even Daniel doesn't know what's happening. Yeah. In this vision, which I just want to say is very reassuring. It is so reassuring. (laughs) And think about this. If Daniel didn't know what they meant, Mm -hmm. neither did anybody reading it. Right. So if we come to this demanding that we have the exact names of the kingdoms, we would miss the hope that this book would offer an exiled Jew in Babylon. Mm. So I think there are good answers for who are the kingdoms. And we even get some new answers in the following chapters. But we should take a dose of Daniel's humility here. Yeah. And just be like, I don't... Can we just say I don't understand this perfectly? Can every single biblical scholar in the world just admit (laughs) what Daniel is happy to admit? (laughs) Right. Because ultimately the point isn't to know history before it happens. Right. It's to know the God who controls history before it happens. That's right. And knowing the God who controls history would be... An Enough. encouragement yeah. to an oppressed Jew living under the thumb of a monster. That's right. That's yeah. what, that's the first point that's right. on the line. So what we're saying then up to this point in chapter seven with the dream is we can kind of get to who the first beast is and the second beast, mm-hmm. but then the third keeps coming and then there's a seven one who's even worse. The fourth or the fourth one, one yeah, sorry, yeah. I was thinking about the number seven. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, <laughs> one number at a time, David. <laughs> there's the fourth beast that comes and he's even worse. That's But that's all the work we can do 
right now. Yes. We, we are now joining Daniel and saying, yes. I'm confused. Yes. Do you want to try to tie up the beasts before mm. jumping to the next vision? Or should we just continue the confusion? <laughs> let's continue the confusion Gr- with Daniel. Great. Let's stay in Daniel's shoes here. Let's circle yeah. back to how you ended the story here with the four beasts. So this fourth beast comes out. He has ten horns. Mm-hmm. One other horn is a little horn. Yes. And it gets kind of raised up and plucks up three other horns. That's all very confusing. Yes. But then it starts to talk. Yeah. And it starts to say great things, kind of like boastful, grand yes. things yes. that are just crazy, apparently. Right. We don't get any of that content. We don't get any of the content, just Daniel's like, and he said crazy things. But you can imagine what. Well, a- I mean, think about what the kings yeah. of the empires have already said. I built this empire for yeah. the glory of my majesty. And in that moment, he turned into a beast. So right. it's probably something proud and blasphemous he's the only mediator between god and man like (laughs) something like that daniel's given us enough vocabulary to put in the scorn's mouth and just as a like a little aside remember this chapter is talking to chapter two Mm -hmm. and the fourth kingdom in chapter two was the feet Mm. ten toes are on the feet and there are ten horns here right and it has iron teeth like the legs were made of iron like that's helpful to to say yeah we are confused a little bit yeah. But we don't need to be utterly confused because it is still mapping on perfectly to the the statue that was in Nebuchadnezzar's Dream in Chapter 2. That's right. So we're still we're not completely lost. Not completely lost. Okay, so here's my question then. If you have this ten-horned beast here that matches the ten toes of the statue, then where is the uncut stone that's coming to smash it and break it? Because that's the next part of the story, right? It, yeah. It's verse 9. It's the very Yay! next verse. You got it right, David. <laughs> it's almost like you planned that. I did. <laughs> As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him and the court sat in judgment and the books were opened oh boy so this is the moment where the uncut stone is supposed to do ju- if we if we got down to in our mind mm-hmm. this is the uncut stone that comes in it hits the heel of the statue and brings it crumbling down before then setting up a worldwide empire right. of its own and in this dream we get a new color to that mm. the ancient of D- it the stone is the ancient of days mm. what and what is that phrase the ancient of days this is the only time in the bible it's used crazy uh or the first time in the bible it's yeah. used. and it's, so it doesn't, it's, it's not pulling on anything in yeah. the canon that predates it yeah it is a depiction of god absolutely who else could be the ancient of the, days? the oldest i mean and think about the imagery we're already given mm. the the hovering over the oh, right. pr- primordial waters of creation. Yes. Like, who was the one who was hovering? God. God. Yeah. <laughs> the ancient of days. Yes. The most ancient one. He was there mm. when the beast came out of the water. Right. Um, and so he's the uncut stone who comes down to establish a new kingdom. Thrones were right. placed. Yes. Yes. Okay. And he's described as having white clothes, mm-hmm. as white as snow, and he's having as white hair. Yeah, but like like sheep's wool. What, what I don't want to do yeah. is get grandfather God imagery in my right. head. Right, right, God right. God is a uh, is an old man with a white beard sitting on a throne. I mean, the his throne was fiery flames, and its yeah, wheels were burning fire. Okay. Might okay. disabuse you of that notion, <laughs> but 
<laughs> it did, that did it. Okay, fine. That did it. But it is interesting. Uh, I think what I'm getting at here yeah. is this is apocalyptic literature. Right. Right? You're not meant to picture what it's saying. I've seen people, and if you've done this, I don't think you've done something wrong. I'm right. Not, I'm not demonizing this. But I've seen people try to draw um, descriptions like this in Ezekiel with mm-hmm. the wheels within wheels. Yeah, yeah. Or the, this this picture of God. What does God look like? Or the, the picture of Jesus, the opening of Revelation. And you're, you're he's not describing what it is. Like, like a de- descriptively. Like, yeah, it's not Tolkien describing what a meadow looks like in The Hobbit. Yeah. Right? This is all metaphorical. Everything means mm-hmm. something, yes. but it doesn't mean what it looks like. It means what it's representing. Right. His clothing being white as snow. That's how in Psalm 51 right. that David asks his heart to be made like right it's, yeah, it's though, yeah those are sins are scarlet you've made them white as snow like it's it, this it's perfection perfection innocence purity yes beauty radiance fiery flames mm-hmm. what are they communicate what are, where are we seeing fiery flames already in the book of daniel the fiery furnace in the rage of nebuchadnezzar so there's and presumably that was his a symbol of his power to judge to judge right he was the god who judges yeah but now a perfect white clothed god is coming to judge and his fire burns way hotter he has streams of fire Mm -hmm. but it's going to be good news because he's a perfect god yeah and his judgment isn't bound to the city of babylon Mm. his throne has wheels on it it can move anywhere it can move anywhere yeah things with wheels on it today isn't isn't that big of a deal for us everything has wheels yeah but back then the wheel was a really cool deal You know, <laughs> it was like, man, that thing has wheels. That That's amazing. Wheels? And so a throne, a throne with wheels actually would be weird even yeah. today. You'd be like, why does the throne have wheels? So it can go anywhere and judge all kingdoms. Yeah. That's the point. It's a universal sovereign. Right. Universal judge. Yeah. And we, we had talked earlier about how Daniel is kind of a meditation on the fulfillment of Ezekiel 22. And in another part of the book of Ezekiel, you see this image of a chariot that has wheels within wheels, and there's this divine flaming judge on the chariot. And those wheels within wheels are really just communicating that that judge, that God, can go anywhere he wants. He can be the universal sovereign. He's not bound to one place in Israel, but can go anywhere he wants. And think about it. We just saw four kingdoms Mm -hmm. that span different parts of the world. How's he going to get to all of them? Right. We (laughs) need a God who can transcend the the borders of four Everybody else's throne is stuck in the ground. Right. God's throne has wheels. And thousands attend him. Right. And what connected the whole world? Let's think about this, too. Yeah. What connected all of these kingdoms, too? Not only roadways. Streams. Streams. Rivers. rivers. And so he has rivers of fire. Hmm. His judgment can reach into the nooks and crannies of Hmm. every empire around the world. Oftentimes, people would get their goods and even themselves to different places via streams and rivers. Well, now God is getting his judgment out into the earth through these very streams. Court sits in judgment and the books are open. Now, think about this, then. If you are... A exiled Jew, if you've been stolen from your land, you've been scattered throughout Babylon or Persia or media, and you read this, Hmm. the universal judge, his streams are all fire. His throne can move over any capital. Hmm. The Ancient of Days has a ledger of the injustices and atrocities of my oppressors. This is good news. This is really good news. He's coming to finally do battle with the beasts. Yes. That's what's happening. Right. And so I I think 
if you stopped, imagine stopping in verse eight mm-hmm. after all the beasts. This would be the only good news in that would be that at least God knows what's going to happen. Yes. Which is good news. But like, man, beast after beast after beast, how much more of this could I put up with? Mm. It's like, no, but there's good news on the other side of it that there is going to be an omnipotent throne that comes down in fiery judgment against all the oppressive nations that have put you under boot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I mean, is really good news. And that's those are the next verses. The horn was speaking great words and he was thrown into fire. The dominion is taken from these beasts and the kingdom of the ancient of days. The thrones of the Ancient of Days take its place. Okay, so not only... So the throne came down. Mm-hmm. It had a courtroom. Mm-hmm. And all the beasts were found guilty. Yeah. And punished. Yes. Okay. That's yes. a big deal. It's a big deal. That's a really big deal. So the beasts of the world, the primordial beasts of the world, yeah. the empires of the world, are found guilty for all that they've done against God's people. Nebuchadnezzar's statue in his mm-hmm. dream in chapter 2 has fallen by That's the right. uncut stone. One other... Before we move on... One other thing that I'm just picturing, if you just if you just took out all the themes from this passage and put them together, yeah. it would kind of retell the story of Genesis and the hope of Genesis mm-hmm. uh, 1 to 3. Because you have the primordial waters mm-hmm. and you have chaos and then God opens it up and brings forth beasts and man mm-hmm. from it. Right. right. One and of the beasts rises up above the others, right. the and snake. You, you have the snake. The snake rises up above the others. It's different than the other mm-hmm. beasts, it seems. And it speaks crazy things, mm-hmm. right? Like, And it's Bold saying things. things. Yeah. Um, and it ends up tempting. Mm-hmm. And, it, and later he's going to say that he taxes the holy ones or he's annoying to the holy ones. What, what does he say? I can't remember. <laughs> he's annoying. It's, it's in there. He speaks words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. He's annoying. These words are, are taxing. And yeah, and so Adam and Eve fall under mm-hmm. the words of this beast. But then what, what is said? That that beast will be brought down. Mm-hmm. I will crush that beast's head. Right? And right. So, and so I'm just or, like, this is, he's kind of retelling the story of creation saying, remember that first beast that messed everything up mm-hmm. and brought everyone under the kingdom of sin? Mm-hmm. I'm finally going to come and crush it. Mm-hmm. Like, this is still going to happen. The promise of Genesis 3.15, when I will mm-hmm. crush the head of the serpent, mm-hmm. that beast will finally be destroyed. Yeah. Like that, the Bible, the story of the Bible that started the whole thing right. as a tight thread still carrying through yeah. to this moment in exile, mm. which is, would it's be really, really good. good news. Yeah, and again, like, the hope is that Israel would have been that place, that Garden of Eden, but Israel's destroyed. That's right. Our, is, the, is our creation truth still true right no wonder the this is a this is a creation myth without eden yeah eden is destroyed israel's gone Mm -hmm. the temple is gone the temple was a picture Mm -hmm. of eden Mm -hmm. so what happens whenever the chaos monsters are ruling and there was never an eden to begin with yeah the the, well the the throne can still come down the throne can still come down okay okay so the throne comes down judges the beasts and to this person to this son of man dominion is given an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one that shall never be destroyed wow so really in so much there's this, a lot happening in this that. is one of the yeah. most important passages of scripture in the whole bible in the whole bible absolutely so just get ready yeah there's so much happening right now right okay. so but before we talk about the identity of the son of man 
yeah. and where he came from and what a son of man is yeah. or let's talk about what was given to him because at least we have categories for that in Daniel really clearly yeah, yeah, yeah. dominion is given to him he is the one who's going to rule so all yeah, so, along God's been saying he can give dominion to whomever he wants yeah that's right because in the last couple chapters mm-hmm. particularly within Daniel 4 and 5 in the story of King Nebuchadnezzar and King Belshazzar we're told that the most high puts in place the lowliest people and that the most high rules over all things. Right. right? He has that ability. Mm-hmm. That's been what's on the line is can God do that? Yeah. And yeah, it's like in the political world events, it seems like, Oh, he's doing it because mm-hmm. you had the, the hand writing on the wall yeah. and it's like, well, you've been weighed and found one thing. So I'm going to give the, the, the kingdom of Babylon over to Darius, Darius the meat. Right. But here the kingdom is given over to someone else. Like and not just the kingdom of Babylon. Right. The universal sovereignty That's right. of the God above all the gods. Yes, and it's not, and, it, and I think it's important, and I think the distinction here that you're probably trying to meet out is it's not a usurpation. This isn't just right. a cannibalization of a weaker mm-hmm. uh, kingdom that a bigger kingdom comes and mm-hmm. takes over. God comes down in a giant throne and says, the world is mine, yes. and I am choosing to bequeath it to someone else. So like we've had God doing something we expect controlling the kings of the world Mm -hmm. now we have something of god we don't expect right we don't expect god the universal sovereign to delegate his authority to anyone let alone one like a son of man a human a human being right because a son of man is a human being yes right yeah a son of a person is a son yes a person (laughs) so yeah i think I'm, i'm hoping we're setting up the categories correctly here. Yeah. So what's on the line, this universal sovereign, the ancient of days, mm-hmm. the one who's crushing the beasts, once they're all crushed, he's going to hand over authority to the whole world of the whole world to a human being. Mm-hmm. That's new in scripture. Yeah. And why, why is that new? Why shouldn't, why hasn't Daniel set us up to expect that? Because um, like he has been doing, he, God has been letting other Kings rule He's let he's risen Daniel up to a position of power. Mm-hmm. Should we not be expecting that Daniel being risen up as a son of man to seats of power? Yeah, is like I mean, if I if I had this vision right, right and I had co- constantly been raised up to positions of power, the more visions I saw and interpreted, I'd be like, oh, maybe this is going to be me. <laughs> and in a way, it is. Oh, okay, right. That's what, what I'm just saying is yeah. it's an escalation. Yeah, 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 an unprecedented escalation. It makes sense that a human being would be risen up to take over another human kingdom. Right. It makes sense that even Daniel in Babylon is risen up to the right hand of Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar Mm. and Darius. But that's not what's on the line anymore. This is the kingdom that rules all kingdoms. Mm. This is the uncut stone kingdom that will fill up the entire world and trample all the monsters. And so we expect God singularly to rule the world. I, I don't know if I would expect that. You don't? The Eden story would teach me not to expect that. When God mm. set up a kingdom over the whole world, he put humans in charge of it and gave them dominion over the whole world and told them to mm. be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Mm. He's, it's always been his plan to have humans in charge of the earth. Interesting. I, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. I would expect this. I think what I don't expect yeah. is that this human came from the clouds of heaven. Well, that's interesting. That's the thing I don't expect. That's really interesting. Yeah. Why that's interesting is a couple different reasons. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so who is capable of riding on the clouds? 
God. Yeah. God is the only one in scripture described as a cloud rider. As a cloud rider. Uh, psalm 68 is a great example. Ooh, okay. The, it's a, uh, David is writing a psalm explaining the Exodus story. And oh, he says, okay. sing to God, sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Mm. And it's a description of the cloud that wandered with Israel through the desert. Um, yeah, and the one that them. came down on Mount Sinai that had yes. the glory of God in it. Right. God, God's presence to Moses descended on a cloud and touched the top of the mountain. So as you were saying, we expect maybe then, it's like I, I'm learning to expect yeah. a human being being delegated the authority of the universal kingdom. But I'm not but, expecting a son of man, a human being, to be able to be the cloud rider. To also be... A divine figure? Yeah, that makes no sense to me. That's a new that's a new wrinkle. I I know that the Son of Man can be in God's image, but I don't think he can take God's car. Right. His cloud, yeah, yeah. His cloud can car. He, can he be the cloud rider? <laughs> yeah. Right. That's so interesting. So what's being set up here, yeah. I mean, I think based on what we know of scripture, it's like you have an image of God, a cloud rider, mm-hmm. mixed with the image of a human being. Yeah. And this mixture of a cloud-riding divine God and a human being is the one the world is delegated to. Right. And because Daniel's been preparing us for this all along. How? All along, Daniel's been setting this up for us. How? At every turn, Daniel's been going, here's a human being claiming to be God. Here's a human being claiming to be God. Nebuchadnezzar Mm -hmm. does it. Darius does it. He tries to be an intercessor. Mm -hmm. Nebuchadnezzar wants to be the God that everyone bows down to. Yeah. And then so whenever the time comes, what do you have? You have the actual God Mm. in a human coming to reign. Everyone else has been trying to pretend Babel was a facsimile of the reality Mm. as it has been in so many other ways. And now the real thing is here. We've all been pretending man trying to be God. And maybe we've been expecting another way because Daniel, how is he described? One in whom the spirit of the of the gods dwell. Right. How can that be possible? How could God be in a human? The God who does not dwell with man could reveal this. Right. But the cloud rider is a man. Oh, Daniel has been laying all the breadcrumbs. Oh, I didn't oh, my think about goodness. it. This. Okay, so great. <laughs> and so let's stop here. Okay. We're about to get the interpretation the angel gives to Daniel yes. for his time period to exiles in Babylon. Yeah. We have set up all the breadcrumbs to Jesus so well. We should just we should just stop and 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 eat our treat. Yeah. <laughs> eat, eat the bread. Eat the eat the bread. Jesus is the son of man. Yes. Jesus is the cloud rider. So, yeah. When Jesus comes to earth so often in the gospels, he refers to himself with this very title derived from Daniel 7. And partly because it's ambiguous. It could be a man. It could right. just be a human. He's presenting everyone with a riddle. Yes. It's a with riddle. a vision. Yeah. It's really interesting. It needs interpretation just like Daniel's did. But I think what's interesting about it is because Jesus is often obscures himself in order to carry out his ministry. Because mm-hmm. if he would have come and just said, I am Yahweh, right? They right. would have stoned him on the spot. Right. But he had different plans. Yes. And so he uses cleverly the vision of Daniel yeah. to say, uh, the son of man came, blah, 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 blah. And even some of the ways he does it, mm-hmm. is he talking about himself? Or is he, ta- is is he, he talking about scripture? Is he saying, oh, you know, the son of man will come and do such and right. such. So Jesus identifies himself as the son of man over and over and over yeah. and over again. But the fascinate, most fascinating time that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man is when he's on trial mm. 
by the beastly high priests, the 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 beastly Pharisees, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, machinations totally. of the Roman and Jewish court system. Yeah, what does he say there? In Mark fourteen sixty two, Jesus says, "I am the Son of Man, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, and coming on the clouds of heaven." <laughs> And uh, like so, and this is as he's being crushed by the demonic beasts, right? And he even says like, "You will see the Son of Man." In other, tra- and that's in Mark and mm-hmm. Matthew, I think, and you will see the Son of Man. And what's he referring to? The Son of Man ascending mm-hmm. to a throne in the clouds above all powers. He's referring to his ascension, right. and his yes. resurrection, right? And he's telling the Pharisees that you will know that the the prophecy that you read about in Daniel seven mm. all your life. Mm about this divine figure that's also a human being will be proven when I rise from the dead and you will see it and I will be seated at the right hand of God. Right. Jesus knows he's the son of man from Daniel 7. So why is it good news that Jesus is the beast crusher, the eternal sovereign, the one with worldwide dominion? Yeah. Why is it good news that we finally have a God-man as king of the world? Well, it's good news because the, the story from creation is finally coming to an end. The problem set up in the Garden of Eden, the beast that lied to us, mm-hmm. the beast that's dominated existence as, hu- as humans, it's turned into empires that have crushed the people of God, is finally coming to an end. Yeah. The, powers, the spell is being broken. The power is being broken. A new creation is about to begin. Why is it good news? Like, the Bible is coming to an end. Right. Why is it good news that it's Jesus yeah. and not a proud emperor? <laughs> it's like he's willing to die for his subjects right. rather than abuse his subject, imprison his subjects. Yeah, he's the one who's going to go into the fiery furnace and the lion's den. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's going to suffer. He was the one in the fiery furnace. And, yeah. you know, the angel in the lion's den, maybe. I think yeah. maybe if let's put ourselves back into mm. the oppressed Jew in exile. The for original a audience. The of original audience. Let's just say you had the foresight mm. as an oppressed Jew in Babylon to know that there was a Messiah coming mm-hmm. who'd be crushed by the beasts, but who would be resurrected from the dead and sit at God's right hand. Why would that be good news to that person? Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. How do we, we don't have that, if, that vision of the son of man being crushed by the beasts here, right? Um, because he comes in judgment, right? Right, and right, then, right. And then, as the ancient of days is, is sitting on his throne, the Son of Man comes in the clouds, and everything's just given to him. Mm-hmm. The it's I guess you'd have to imply it from the beginning of the vision. You have in Daniel seven the fact that you have these global empires that are crushing, gnashing, devouring, eating, ruling the world, mm-hmm. crushing the world. And when the angel begins to interpret those visions, in verse 21, he says, And I looked, that last horn that was risen up above all the other ones, Mm -hmm. made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days come, and then judgment was given to him, and the saints the Most High, and the saints possessed the kingdom. So who are the monstrous empires oppressing? The people of God, the saints, the holy ones. And where where do sons of men come from? The earth. They come from the sons of men. So it's an inference. Yeah. It's not explicit. So who are the monstrous empires oppressing them? Well, the people of God, the, the holy ones, the saints of the most high. Come from? Mm-hmm. They come from the earth. They, right. they're the earth under the, has been trampled. Yes. 
So I think that's probably the, the inference that I'm drawing there. Yeah. And also, like, he, in verse 25, as the angel interprets, he's speaking words against the Most High, the mm-hmm. horn is, against God, and he's wearing out the saints of the Most High. Mm-hmm. And that's so right. both the cloud rider and the Son of Man, mm-hmm. both dominions, yeah. heaven and earth, are under attack by yes. this horn. And, and, and this Son of Man mm-hmm. is the only one who fits the bill of both. Right, and in verse 27, it's interesting. So this is getting to the interpretation a little bit more. But the angel, when Daniel asked for explanation, so who who is this? Who is this son of man? He says, well, that's the saints. And then the very last verse, that verse 27, he says, then the saints will take their throne. And then he has a masculine singular object mm. to describe the reality. He says, the people of the saints of the Most High shall be given the kingdom. His kingdom yeah. shall be an everlasting kingdom. So the angel conflates the people of God and the Son of Man. And where are all the people of God? Where are all these saints? On crush, the earth. On the uh, earth, crushing the beast. So like, mm. where must the Son of Man come from? From under the crushing feet of the beasts. And so maybe that's... Pro- so it's like, you're right to question. It's like, how would you have known that based on the interpretation here? Like, right. you might only know it after Jesus came. Right, which is totally fine <laughs> yeah <laughs> you might only know it after jesus came yes. but it's also like in the vision okay of this. So, so let me go back to your question yes your question was you're a jew in exile being actively crushed under one of the mighty beasts of mm-hmm. empire why would this vision of a son of man and a cloud rider ruling over the earth and possibly being crushed by the beasts but still ruling afterwards why would that be good news to to me yeah Ooh, i mean that I get to win. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> being on the winning side of history sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Like, because I would assume that this was my ancient of days, my God. Yes. yes. Right? Mm-hmm. My Only my God is the cloud rider. <laughs> and my God is going to come and he's going to free me. And he's going to give me a throne. Like, we haven't gotten there yet. But, yeah, anything else? And, like, the if you're in exile, like, what else is an original audience? Would this be saying to you? I mean, that... There's resurrection from the dead. Mm. I mean, if you had the foresight to understand that Jesus was the one being prophesied here, dying in Babylon is not the end. Right. There's life beyond Babylon. There's Mm -hmm. life beyond media. There's life beyond Greece. There's life beyond Rome. There's Mm -hmm. life beyond wherever you're trapped. Right. For 10,000 of 10,000 of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That's really good news. Um, and maybe you're right. Maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit and we should go into the angel's interpretation and see how he gives good news to the people of God. Yes. So the angel comes to the, to Daniel and ends up taking his role. There's that role reversal we talked about. Yeah. Daniel's been the one explaining the visions to the kings who can't understand them. But now Daniel is the leader who can't understand visions. So he has to have an angel interpret them for him. Yes. And so what does the the angel how does the angel help daniel understand this vision here because it does kind of feel like i don't know i guess daniel doesn't have a clue what's going on i was gonna say he's kind of like nebuchadnezzar like hinting at maybe i i'm scared of what this the reality inter- interpretation yeah. means you tell me what it means well but. the angel says in verse 17 these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth so we've already said that four kingdoms will succeed one another increasing in violence right apparently which just kind of confirms what daniel himself interpreted for king nebuchadnezzar in chapter two that's right but the saints of the most high shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever forever and ever 
I mean, that's kind of the whole dream in two verses. Yeah. But did you notice the crazy wrinkle in verse 18? I don't know. In verse 14, one like a son of man, a singular human, will be given the authority. Verse 18, but the saints, plural, Mm. the holy ones, will be of the most high, will receive the kingdom. And possess the kingdom forever and ever. Yeah. When the kingdom interpret, when the angel interprets the dream, he says, "This son of man represents all, all holy ones." Mm. Wow. All the saints of the most. And which high. makes sense of why there's multiple thrones placed. Right. Who sits on the thrones? Oh yeah. The holy ones that are coterminous with also the son of man right that is interesting because it, it is strange in verse 9 right after the beast submerged and the ancient of days comes to his wheeled throne mm-hmm. verse 9 says thrones mm-hmm. plural were placed That's right and the ancient of days took his one singular seat right so you have an earth littered with thrones and we even have numbers thousands and thousands served him ten thousand times ten thousand well, they're probably doing that from their thrones. Right. So, like, it makes so much sense that the angel is conflating those two things. Yeah. That when the Son of Man comes, everybody else gets their throne. Yeah. That's crazy. So, what does that mean? Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, just Oh, wait. David. <laughs> oh, David. So, there's two main streams of thought. Okay. So, the phrase is the holy ones of the Most High. Mm-hmm. They are the ones who receive the kingdom. So there's two ways people have understood this phrasing. One, it's only ever used in the book of Daniel. Fun. Uh, So that's great. Later Jewish authors will use it to refer primarily to angelic beings. Okay. And within the book of Daniel, the holy ones Mm -hmm. are also referred to as angels throughout the book. Okay. And this is actually the majority interpretation that angels will sit on thrones Mm -hmm. when the one like the son of man, the representative of the angels. Yes. When he takes his throne, all the angels rule with him over the demonic beastly angels of the earth. Does that make like, that, that makes sense? Yes. 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 Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it, kind of, it makes sense because I can fill in the gaps, Yeah. yeah. but we might want to do that here. So the, the crazy idea here is like, wait a second. Angels are sitting on thrones. Right. At all. Right, right now. Yes. It, as we read further in Daniel, the idea of angels ruling becomes increasingly common. Mm-hmm. In Daniel 8 and 9, you have the prince of Persia. Mm-hmm. You have the prince of Greece. And these are these are spiritual beings. Mm-hmm. These aren't the actual prince of Persia. No. Like on the, on the ground. And they're doing battle with the archangel Michael, who's right. apparently Daniel's. You have enthroned spiritual powers over physical territories, fighting spiritual battles for and around spirit physical territories. So it's a weird way to. It's a different worldview than most people have today. Right. So let's name it here. I this is not my favorite way to read this text. <laughs> However, I I think the best uh, the the way that I I prefer to read, and I think there's a good amount of biblical evidence, is that this is actually the people of God hmm. ruling alongside God. Like it says in Ephesians 2, right. that we are resurrected with Christ and, and seated, seated with him in the heavenly places. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. But let's camp out for a second. And let's just assume that angels have a role in the right ordering of the world. Okay, yes. And why would the right 
authority giving to angels be good news for us? Okay. 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 Well, we have to set up that worldview first. Yes. So yes. the image we have is one like a son of man. So Jesus, mm-hmm. when he takes his throne with him, the holy ones also take their thrones. Mm-hmm. The angels take their thrones. We've mentioned multiple times that the book of Daniel is hyperlinked back to the story of Babel. Yes. The Tower of Babel. Right. Over and over again, we've, we've mentioned this. And yes. So the, 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 the proof is there for yes. sure. And at the Tower of Babel, mm-hmm. when the people were all dispersed, that is where the Table of Nations comes from. So the Table of Nations is? Uh, a list of about 70 mm-hmm. uh, nations that basically chronicle the biblical layout of the ancient world. The ancient world. Right. And so the nations are scattered into these 70 people groups. Yes. Okay. And they came from a tower built on pride. Right. They wanted to rule themselves. Right. And now they are split out into 70 different nations. And now who rules them? Right. Because God was ruling, presumably, right? God is the leader. The idea was that the earth would be a place that God was enthroned over and he would be the spiritual ruler of the entire earth. But God breaks their man-made center of worship and power Mm -hmm. and scatters them. Yes. And what's interesting is like, okay, well, they just he just scatter the nations. They right. just live in different parts of the world. Totally. And for most of us, that's where the story ends. Yeah, but that's not what Moses thought. Nope. Moses thought something else happened. Moses in Deuteronomy 32 says, When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, mm-hmm. and he's referring to the nations of the world at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Yeah, which this is a biblical idea. Even Paul talks about it, that, uh, that God ordains where every nation should be and sets mm-hmm. their boundaries. Even Paul says yep. that in the New Testament. He says he divided up the sons of man. Mm-hmm. Same phrase we have here. Mm. He sets up and he sets the boundaries of the people according to the number of the sons of God. Yep. Odd phrasing, mm-hmm. but throughout scripture, it's a reference to other spiritual beings. Yes. Not always good ones. No. Not always good ones. Right. So, I mean, the sons of God, uh, that, that phrase, mm-hmm. are the same ones who came and had sexual relations with the daughters of man and created mm-hmm. the Nephilim. Yeah. So, sons of God who ended up raping mm-hmm. earthly women, like, that, that, those are bad. Those, those are the, fallen those, spiritual those are, beings. Yeah. And so, we don't have to assume that just because the sons of God are now given to the territories that, the, that right. the sons of man live in, that they have to be good angels, good spiritual beings. Right. So the worldview then mm-hmm. of somebody like Moses would have been that there's a true God in Israel, the God above all gods, the ultimate sovereign, the ancient of days. But in the nations around them, there are small G gods, mm-hmm. Elo- sons of Elohim, right. uh, beasts, spiritual beasts right. or as uh, Daniel will call them princes right. princes of Persia princes of Greece yes and they exert spiritual power over the nations that inflames their brutality inflames their idolatry inflames all the worst instincts of humanity that's right and their spiritual powers causing the devastation that the the four giant beasts cause right here right and so yeah all the nations of the world in this worldview are are ruled mm-hmm. by fallen evil spiritual forces right and um and the table of nations being 70 mm. uh and, and and it's like the reason why there were 70 nations is because there were 70 sons of god now that doesn't mean there was actually like 
almost 69 and not quite 71. Right, right. right. It means it was the the full number of the sons of God yeah. and the full number of the nations of the earth matched so that each one could have its own ruler. So tons of backstory. Yes. But if that understanding is correct, what does this mean? All those spiritual powers are now defeated. Yes. They've been thrown down and now good spiritual rulers have taken their place. Yes. They the now holy take the throne. Ones of God can now go back to life like it was before Babel. Yeah, Lucifer's off the throne, Michael's back on the throne. Right. Which would be good news which would in be that spiritual worldview. Yes. And like I mean, I don't know how into like territorial spirits people are out there. <laughs> But, like, there is this good news that the spiritual powers of this world are broken. Yes. Because the holy ones of God sit on their rightful thrones. Right. And we see this beginning to happen as Jesus casts out demons. Yes. As his disciples cast out demons. They are showing that they are dethroning spiritual powers. And just to go back to 70 number, do you know how many disciples Jesus sends out? 70 I, I do. It's 70 <laughs> disciples. At one point, he said that 70 disciples to cast out demons to break the spiritual powers over the globe. Right. Like he's literally showing in the ministry of his disciples the fulfillment of Daniel 7 yes. that they are going to dethrone spiritual powers. Uh, and like, and this work, yeah, begins. Like you look at when Samaria received the good news mm-hmm. in Acts. And you had Simon the Sorcerer. Oh, this yeah. was a, I mean, there are still excavated statues of this guy. He was famous, so famous as a mighty spiritual worker. He could do mm-hmm. miracles and magic. I mean, he was most likely mm-hmm. embodied by a spiritual power mm-hmm. to perform what were actually demonically empowered mm-hmm. miracles. And people yeah. worshipped him. And he ruled Samaria. Mm-hmm. And yet, God... Tr- God changed him with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit beat yeah. the, the the angelic spirits. Yeah. Like that's what's yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah. Dethroning spiritual, spiritual powers, powers is part of the Christian life. And I know that's weird for a lot of people it's to hear. It's so weird. It's kind of weird to say because it's so outside of our the way we view the world. Right, but Jesus like he's the Lord of hosts. Yes, there yes. are lots of spiritual beings. Like, and that's, that's like a Lord of hosts is a military language. Right. Jesus is the captain from his delegated throne next to God of an army of spiritual beings doing battle with the evil and demonic powers and beasts of the world. Yeah. And he's ruling. He yes. is winning. He cannot be beaten. Right. That is part of the good news of Daniel yes. 7. Yes, that the evil spiritual forces in this world will not win. You know, I, I would probably say it this way. Like we said, like, okay, there's two different ways to understand it. Maybe mm-hmm. it's angels. Maybe it's the people of God. Mm-hmm. I think it could easily be both. Sure. There's no reason why it can't be. And I think it must be because that's the picture of the new life Jesus inaugurates as king of the world. Right. One that does battle and beats the supernatural powers behind yes. the powers. And no less so is this true than when the New Testament authors pick up on this. And say that we rule with Jesus from thrones and that we will one day judge angels, whatever right. that means in the well, New Testament. In, yeah, <laughs> we will judge angels. Wait a second. When were we working with angels <laughs> and then having to determine how well they did in their job? <laughs> like, what, what? When did this happen? Yeah. But there's, it is, it's both. It has yes. to be both. It has to be both. Yeah. So that's the good news of angels, the holy ones, the angels of God taking their throne. 
But let's just assume for a second, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. What if that's the people of God? Right. What if that's the oppressed of Israel? What if that's you and me? What if that's you and me? Yeah. Taking our thrones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it means that we are finally getting back to our original purpose of being on this planet to begin with. Mm. That when God put us in the Garden of Eden, he gave us dominion to cultivate and tend to be fruitful and multiply and be a force for his good image and character on this planet. Yeah. It means we get to fulfill the reason why we were made. Right. And stop being ruled and start to rule. Mm-hmm. And stop like being put underfoot and start caring for things that are under our feet. Yeah. Like, it means we actually get to be human mm-hmm. and stop being beasts. Right. It means we get to live on planet Earth the way we were intended to. Like, that's all just pulling from Eden. There's a right. bunch more reasons why this is good news. But yeah. just from completion of the Eden story, it's good news. Yeah, when Jesus takes his throne, uh, Jesus takes his throne next to the Ancient of Days, he raises us up with him because we and him are the same. Like, mm. you know, like... We he, can't go somewhere he is not. He can't go somewhere yeah. we are not because we are in him. And that's that. And I've already said it, but that's how Ephesians two mm-hmm. describes what it means to join the kingdom of God. We will be joined with Him and are seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Mm. And right before that, He said, "You were once slaves to the prince of the power of the air." Right. He He makes this a spiritual reality. He does. And He conflates the idea of angels and the sons of God ruling simultaneously. Yep. Like, that's part of the thing. Ephesians 2 might be the perfect interpretation of Daniel 7. Uh, of Daniel 7. <laughs> um, and the idea that we rule with God. Let's talk about that. What yeah. does that even mean? Well, I mean, I can't answer that question without it just being all about Eden again. Yeah. Because that's where it started, mm-hmm. was God ruled the whole cosmos, and then he created a world and said, you rule it. Mm-hmm. I'm your ruler, yeah. but now you rule the earth. He gave dominion mm-hmm. to humanity. So we are ruling with God since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what that means is that, uh, you know, kind of like Darius, right? In the last episode, we talked about how Darius, when he starts taking over Babylon, he puts 120 satraps around, you know, the, right. his kingdom to manage it. Like, that's how God has chosen. It's not how God had to, but it's how God has chosen to rule the earth is with us to put little versions of himself all over the globe and thus make it perfect. And so wherever you find yourself, be it in exile, be it in a normal job, be it as a housewife, be it in a place of oppression or a place of abundance, your job is to rule with God by treating those around you and adjudicating the situations around you and bending the structure of the world around you toward the ends that God would do it if he was ruling on earth instead of you. Mm-hmm. You are meant to rule your little kingdom, however small or big that is, as if you were Jesus himself. How would Jesus rule in your home? How would Jesus rule in your school? How would Jesus rule at your work, uh, in your backyard, mm-hmm. with your neighbors, in your church, at mm-hmm. an HOA meeting? Yeah. What would it look like if King Jesus showed up here as the gentle and lowly lamb. Mm-hmm. Right. It would look like you mm-hmm. being a little Jesus in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks like to rule with God. Yeah. It means spiritual power. It does. Like it would have meant if it was the holy ones. Mm-hmm. Human beings still do battle with spiritual forces. Yeah. All Paul, the time. Paul says that's our job. He does? Yeah. What are you talking about? Your, your fight oh, is not against flesh right. and blood. That's exactly That's exactly But against right. the spiritual authorities and powers. 
So take him down. (laughs) So take him down. Like (laughs) when we rule with God while we still live and before he comes back, we do battle with spiritual forces daily. Mm. And then, so like that's all what's happening now. Even like sickness. Mm. Throughout scripture, there's a link between spiritual oppression and sickness. Mm. And one of the things that Jesus does when he heals people is he's rolling back the powers of darkness. Right. And what's one of the things that we are meant to do? Pray for the sick. Yeah. And they will be healed. Right. Like part of spiritual warfare is praying for sick people. Yeah. And then when they get better, that's us defeating a beast. That's right. That's absolutely right. And like, and to also to have spiritual powers to do what Daniel keeps Mm -hmm. doing throughout the book. To have dreams and visions. That's right. So that people can know what God's up to in the world and can yeah. hear his reassuring voice. Have you heard of spiritual gifts? Yeah. Have like, you ever heard of spiritual gifts? Or, or the fruits of the Spirit. Right. Like these are Love all... Love and joy. Like yeah. these are all things that are given to us to be empowered to do because Jesus is on the throne. Yeah. Because Jesus is ascended, sitting next to the ancient of days, spiritual gifts can become ours. Mm. The fruits of the Spirit can be ours. Sickness can be prayed for. Demons can be rolled back. Mm-hmm. We can affect and make Edens. We can finally be humans like Adam and Eve were meant to. Jesus being enthroned as God's regent Mm. changes the whole world. That's right. Yeah, because now his hosts of heaven are now also on earth. Yeah, his host, yes. Because the spirit of God lives in us. Yes. (laughs) That's so, and now, oh, and now we are little versions of a cloud rider and a son of man. Because now the spirit of Jesus himself has come mm-hmm. to live in a son of man. Right. We are now, we get to The rule. spirit that the cloud dwelt over the temple where the spirit was. Yes, exactly. The spirit that's what I'm trying to us. say. Yes. yes. Is now in us. And we that's, ride clouds. And that's how we can go out mm. and conquer is because Jesus is with us. Mm. Because we are his vassals and ambassadors. We carry his signet seal. We do it in the name of Jesus who is on the throne. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. There's... I'll just throw this out there because why not at well, this point? At this point, why not? Jesus talks about this passage with his disciples in oh, no. <laughs> uh, Matthew 19. Okay. He says, this is after the rich young ruler. Oh. Uh, uh, the rich, like, who can enter the kingdom of God? Yeah. Like, And he says, well, we." the disciples say, well, we've left everything to follow you. Mm. What will there be for us because we've left everything? And Jesus responds this way. He says, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, hmm. referring to himself, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Hmm. So there's not just a, a, a right now reality. It's like, what does it mean to reign with Jesus right now? Right. There is an eternal reality where at least the 12 apostles... Mm-hmm. But I think the text would say even more of us. Don't mm-hmm. you know that you'll judge angels? Right. By when Paul, like, will rule God's kingdom alongside of him mm-hmm. as we expand the Garden of Eden around the whole world and presumably the galaxy, maybe at one point. Yeah. God will delegate some authority to Venus to us. <laughs> and we will have the pleasure of being one of God's counselors. Mm. being one of the wise men of God and telling him about what we've done today and getting God's advice as we cultivate a garden right in the Sahara. Like yeah. people, I, I just want everyone to know what Seth is describing right now is what most Christians would call quote unquote heaven. Yeah, that's that. This is heaven. Have I not said that yet? No, <laughs> that's heaven. This is heaven. 
this is the biblical picture of heaven. Yeah. Is that we rule with God again in a new and better garden of Eden where we are cultivating the earth alongside him. Um, maybe Venus. I don't know. Maybe Venus. I don't know about <laughs> Venus. But, but, you know, like that is the picture of heaven. Heaven is not uh, riding on clouds forever. <laughs> Playing right. harps and bagpipes. No. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it's being here with King Jesus, ruling the earth with him forever, with eternal dominion, with no sickness, with all happiness, and fulfilling our humanness and our God-imageness forever perfectly with so much satisfaction in what we get to do every day. Like, that is heaven, is working and being and enjoying right. with Jesus. Like, if, if take the best parts of your life that you, like, the things in this world that you love, you know, the things in this world that you long to go see, the places you long to visit that you know you never will. Imagine them perfected, and then imagine you getting to enjoy them and making them better. And you know, like that yeah. is heaven. I just right. Like, we don't yeah. always get afford ourselves the opportunity to talk about the good news of the returning, the new yeah. creation. Yeah, but that's what thrones on earth looks like when King Jesus rules. Mm-hmm. I also have this like you know we have these Nebuchadnezzar and his counselors, mm-hmm. and yes. Daniel is the son of man, and yes. he as he talks to Nebuchadnezzar, this person who thinks he's God, mm-hmm. he does all this good in Babylon. So just imagine Jesus, the true God has us as his Daniel, as yeah. one of the ascended sons of men, mm-hmm. one of the daughters of men, counseling and providing our wisdom, which he doesn't need, but invites anyway. Mm. And we build something together. Like the idea of building a greenhouse with Jesus. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Right? Like, I'm mean, like, I don't yeah. think about like the reality. Of, or like, if you're not into gardening, building a roller coaster. Build, with whatever, you know, whatever, whatever you're excited it is. about. <laughs> coding with, to yeah, the glory, coding with Jesus. The, yeah. Coding to the glory of God. Like... <laughs> Uh, working with jesus on anything on on a car right like working with my dad is a pleasure right Uh, like you know like that feeling of like i'm working with somebody or or an expert in a field or a ruler doing with jesus yeah it is also interesting you said that and i was like oh it's such an obvious pattern in daniel where you have nebuchadnezzar and his courtroom of astrologers and magicians and then you have darius and his 120 satraps and you have King Jesus yeah. and his throne room of advisors and people and counselors and workers. And that's us. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool, cool. Do you know what else happens? What else happens? When Jesus takes his throne and the holy ones take their thrones next to him. I, I don't. I don't. All peoples, nations, and languages Ugh. worship him. I think what, we've said this already in yeah, previous what, episodes. What but. everyone has been grabbing for all throughout Daniel, what Nebuchadnezzar tried to consolidate, what Darius tries to consolidate through being the lone intercessor of the world, Jesus actually does. He does it. All nations will bow to him and come. And it's the also the out, like the overturning of Babel. Right. Like right. finally universal yeah. peace. Mm-hmm. All people and I mean that's what happened at Pentecost. Yes, that's right. All peoples and nations and languages from around uh, Jerusalem. Yep. One language was, everyone heard everyone in their own language. And what they go out doing? Proclaiming the glory of God to all the nations of the world. After being empowered by the Holy Spirit and seeing dreams and visions like Joel 2 said. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, all of this is piled up on top of each other. Wow. Okay. My heart can't take anymore. That's, that's... The good news of the ascended son of man. That's such good news. The vision goes on to explain in a little bit more detail the fourth beast and what he will do and what it looks like. But 
Like, we've already said this. The good, like, we'll get to the identity of the fourth beast in the coming chapters. Okay. Because it's repeated. I think it's Rome. Mm-hmm. I think the, the, the four beasts are um, Babylon, Media Persia, Greece, and, and Greece Rome. is mentioned in chapter eight. Right. And then the final one is Rome. And why do I think it's Rome? For a whole bunch of reasons within the text, but also because Jesus comes during the Roman Empire. Right. He is the uncut stone, the throne that descends on the earth. During what, what empire? During the empire of the fourth beast. The, during the empire of the fourth beast. Yeah, I think there's ten horns. Rome had ten hills. <laughs> I, I think yeah. that's part <laughs> right. of the equation. Revelation re- repeats the fourth beast and identifies it as Rome. But even if it was Greece or maybe if it was talking about America or China. Yeah, it doesn't ultimately matter. Because the point is, like, this is how all empires act. That's right. There's a cycle of empires that have continually risen up, crushed each other, eaten each other, mm-hmm. and created terror for the son of men under their feet. No Jew right, reading Daniel in that, his day would have known a name to ascribe to the fourth beast. No. It would have just been another empire and a long list of empires that have oppressed the Right. And the they might have gotten God. the point that, man, is this just going to go on forever? No. You know, because like, especially like, I mean, was yeah. Germany in World War II a beast? You bet it was. Right. You bet it was. But what's the good news? People need moments like that. Yes. That there is ascended son of man mm-hmm. seating on his throne above the beast, giving and delegating authority to destroy the beasts of the world mm. among the people of God. Yeah. And that's really good news. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us for Daniel 7. That was amazing. Uh, at least for me. My heart. My heart feels full. It's full. So uh, next week, we, we, we're kind of up in the air on, but we're going to go into 8 through 12, and it's just tons of visions, tons of imagery, tons of symbolism, and we're not quite sure how we're going to go about it yet, if we're going to try to take it all in one thrust, or if we need to break it up, but right, whatever we do... You're going to want to join us for it. Gets, it. it just gets deep. The well gets deeper. The well gets deeper. So... Yeah, thank you guys for joining us for Daniel 7, and we'll see you uh, through the rest of Daniel. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.